we are in a series we're calling At the Cross, and we've been talking about the attitudes that are demonstrated or were demonstrated at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, and we're trying to get a handle on, on those key players and some of their attitudes, and quite honestly, asking ourselves, do we see any of those attitudes in us, and what are we going to do about it? Simply put, we're going to leave it at the cross. Because we want Resurrection Sunday this coming weekend to be a powerful celebration of our risen Lord. Now let me just tell you very clearly that all of us, all of the campus pastors, preaching pastors, have been working very hard, seeking the Lord, praying together, talking with each other for the message this coming weekend. If you have anybody in your life, you're not absolutely sure that they know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to get them here next weekend. Amen? Anybody you know that you're not absolutely sure, get them here next weekend. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, we're going to bring a word that just points us to Calvary in a powerful kind of way and brings us to a decision point. It's going to be an awesome celebration of what Jesus did for us and what he's doing for us today. For those of you who want manuscripts of the series we've been doing, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc. Just be sure to ask for uh, the Goldsboro Campus manuscripts. And then, of course, you can get the outline today and follow along with us uh, by going to the Bible app, clicking on events on the Goldsboro Campus, and you can take advantage of all the scriptures and all the points that I'm going to be sharing with you today. If you want to put something on social media, what are we doing? Hashtag at the cross. And so if I say anything worth repeating for the world to know about, then put it on social media, put it on uh, tweet it or put it on Facebook and we'll share it with each other. We'll like it. Search hashtag at the cross and you'll see what people are saying across our campuses about what God is doing through this series. All right, let's get into it. What have we looked at so far? Those of you that have been a part of it, what have we looked at? We've looked at uh, the self-righteous attitude of the religious leaders of that day, and we dealt with our own self-righteousness. We looked at the hypocritical Pharisees. Pastor Joey brought a powerful word that weekend on the hypocrites, the Pharisees of that day, and ask ourselves the honest question, am I operating in a hypocritical kind of way? Last week, we looked at the cowardly pilot and looked at our own fears and our own anxieties that keep us from filling fulfilling God's plan. And today, we're going to be talking about skepticism. We're going to be talking about doubts. We're going to be talking about unbelief. And let's just be honest, there was plenty of that going around at the time that Jesus was on the cross, and there's plenty of that going around today. Got it? So let's get into it. So here, where are we in our story? We've kind of tracked through the fact that the religious leaders wanted Jesus uh, killed because he was starting to, to undermine their, their stranglehold on the people through their religious uh, bigotry and stuff. They wanted him killed, but they didn't have the authority to have him executed. So they brought him to Pilate and came up with trumped up charges. Pilate ultimately said, I, I, I think he's innocent. And my wife's saying, leave this guy alone. So I'm going to wash my hands of this affair. I'm going to step back. But if you want to kill him, you can. And so as the story progresses, Pilate does have him beaten. Ultimately, uh, he's this heavy wooden cross is laid on his shoulders, and then we see him, as you get toward the end of Matthew chapter 27, you see him nailed to the cross, hanging there, dying for our sins. We'll unpack that in a lot more detail next weekend, but let's lean into some of the people that were there. Matthew 27, verse 39 to 41. If you brought your Bible, you can turn with us. You got a smartphone, an iPad, uh, you can follow along, or you can just do it on the screens. Here we go. New King James Version. Let's read it together. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, 
you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. What are they doing? They're mocking him, aren't they? They're, they're, they're ridiculing him. They're skeptics that he is who he says he is. So let's keep going. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. I mean, if you really are who you say you are, just come on down. Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking the scribes and elders, said, if he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. If he will do this amazing miracle, then we'll believe what he said, even though he has just spent the last two and a half years doing miracle after miracle after miracle, they're still saying if he just does one more miracle, we'll finally believe him. You with me? Now let's be honest, those doubts might have been more extreme than perhaps we've dealt with in our lives, but the truth of the matter is we often find ourselves in places where we want to believe, but we struggle with doubt. Is this microphone on? I thought we turned it on. Come on. Can I get an amen? Can I get an oh me? Doubt is a reality of the human experience, guys. It's just, it's part of it. We often find ourselves where we want to believe. We even sense that we should believe, and yet we have these doubts. Sometimes those doubts can be enough that we start second-guessing ourselves. Does God, does God really care? I mean, is He even there? And, and if, he's, if He's there and He cares, does, does He actually have the power to do anything about what's going on in my life? And, and if He hasn't if he's not doing anything about what's going on in my life, then, then is he there, and does he care, and does he have power? I mean, that's just part of the human equation. Doubt is a part of life. Can I get an amen in the room? If, let's, let's, let's do a little uh, quick quiz, okay? You know I like these things, right? So a little quick quiz. If you relate to these, if you know the word, fill it in. But at the very least, if you relate to these, say amen with me, okay? When we have doubts about the future, we call it Worry. Anybody relate to worry? Anybody ever worry about anything? God bless that hand. I see that hand. The altars will be open in a few minutes. When we doubt other people, we call it suspicion. Anybody ever been suspicious of anybody? Amen? When we doubt ourselves, what do we call that? Insecurity. Anybody ever felt insecure about anything? Don't lie in church. Come on. When we doubt God, what do we call that? We call that unbelief. Anybody ever struggled with unbelief? Sure. When we doubt everything, what do we call that? We call that cynicism. Ever known a cynic? Ever been a cynic? When we doubt what we read on Facebook, what do we call that? Intelligence. We call that intelligence. <laughs> so, <laughs> Doubts are part of the human equation. We men go through a whole period. They've got a name for it. They call it the midlife crisis. We find ourselves doubting our virility, our ability, and our senility. I mean, that's just, that's what we go through. Somebody called it the age of the three Bs, bifocals, baldness, and bulges. I got the bifocals and the bulges. Thank God I still got my hair. More than Pastor Farrell can say. What can I say? So what's the big deal? I mean, if doubt is something that we all deal with, it's just part of the human equation, why do we spend an entire Sunday morning talking about this issue of doubt. And here's the problem that has to be solved. If you're, if you're not aware of your doubts, or if you're not committed to working through your doubts, your doubts will ultimately defeat you. 
Do I need to say that again? Let me say that again. If you're not aware of your doubts, or you're not committed to working through your doubts, then ultimately your doubts will defeat you. The good news is they don't have to. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. You talk about facing all kinds of difficulties. The apostle Paul faced them all, but what did he say? He said, we are perplexed. What does that mean? It's the Greek word apareo that means to stand in doubt, to be unsure about which way to go. I'm perplexed. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to get past this. I don't know how to move through this. I'm unsure. But, he said, we are not in despair. Got two goals for our time to today. Uh, as quickly as I can, we'll try to beat the Baptist to the buffet. Uh, <laughs> I want to identify three common sources of doubt so that when they come along you'll recognize them three common sources and then most importantly I want to identify three keys that will perhaps help you when doubts come that those doubts don't defeat you is that worth a few minutes of our time I mean if you've already got this thing covered God bless you thanks for coming you're welcome to go on to brunch but if you if you wrestle with doubts at all this might be one that we want to lean into maybe even take some notes on get the video later or the manuscript later and dig through it. Three common sources of doubt so we can watch for them. Three keys to stopping them from overcoming us. Number one source is critics. We're talking about people who challenge us, who ridicule our faith. The Bible calls them scoffers. They, they just don't understand what we already know is true. The problem is that when they criticize us, when they scoff at us, it's hard to ignore. Hello? Is it true? Especially when they're family. I got to be honest with you guys. You aren't giving me enough feedback here. I need some more feedback, or I'm going to explain it some more. We're going to be here all day. I need some feedback, okay? What you need to understand is that this stuff is not new. Critics have been around forever, and they've been undermining the faith of believers forever. David, the king of Israel, dealt with it 2,500 years ago. Psalm 73, verses 8 through 11, they scoff at God, how proudly they speak, and so God's people are dismayed and confused and drink it all in. Does God realize what is going on, they ask? He's saying sometimes critics are so good at their job, they can get in your head and cause you to begin to doubt your own beliefs they'll come at you with questions like if if god is so loving then why is there still pain in the world if god is so powerful then why is isis still around hear me guys you can answer all of their questions you can answer every question they have and in most cases they will still be scoffers I've had people come to me with those kind of questions over the years, and, and I tell them, you know what, if you really want to know, if you really want answers to those questions, let's set up a time. We'll meet at Starbucks. We'll hang out. We'll have a cup of coffee, and I'll be glad to answer every question you got. I get very few takers because the issue is not the questions. It's something behind the questions. So how do you handle them? We got that answer from David as well. Psalm 42, 11 and, or 10 and 11. My enemy's insults make me feel as if my bones were broken. You ever felt that way? Oh, man, you guys are killing me here. Why are they, all, they are always saying, where's your God? 
And then David asked a question. He says, why am I, why am I so sad? Why, why, why am I so upset? He asked the question, what's the deal? Why do those people get in my head so much? And more importantly, what am I going to do about the fact that they've got in my head? And then he answers his own question. Read it with me. I should put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior and my God. What's the answer to the critics and the scoffers? I should put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior and my God. Hear me. You will never, never, never. Did I say never? Did, did I say never? You will never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. But when they see the joy of the Lord in your life, they don't have an answer. They just don't have an answer. Here's what I've come to understand. Uh, hurting people hurt people. And so one of two things is going on most of the time when a critic or a skeptic starts coming after me. Either they are so miserable that they want me to be miserable too, so they're going to try to undermine my faith, or they see my joy and they want it really, really bad, but they're struggling to trust that it's real. So they have to test it first to see if it's real. Are you relating to this? They have to test it first to see if it's real before they will buy into it. I've had people say to me things like, you know, I really like this church. I mean, the music is upbeat and everybody's so warm and friendly and your preaching makes sense. I really love this church. Uh, so why don't you come on in, man? Get, be a part of this thing. He said, well, I'm waiting for the penny to drop. In other words, I'm not ready to trust yet. I want it. I like it. I see it. I want, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. But, but I'm not sure that I trust. Whatever their motives are, just be aware. If you let them, scoffers can plant doubts that will ultimately bring you down. Got it? Got it? You ready for the second common cause? Second common cause is that one's external. The second common cause is internal, and I just simply call it rationalization. Just rationalization. Mostly, they come when we feel guilty about something that we've done uh, that we shouldn't have done or something we failed to do that we should have done. But instead of changing, hear me, this is huge now. Instead of changing, we rationalize our beliefs to fit our lifestyles. Does that make sense? I, I, I do something I know is wrong. It's destructive. It's sinful. I feel guilty about it. I know something has to change, so I have a choice. Are you tracking with me? Do you guys like this if you're tracking with me? Okay. So I have a choice. Do I confess and repent, or do I change my beliefs? And can I just tell you now, human beings have an amazing capacity for rationalization. Come on. We have this amazing capacity to rationalize why under my circumstance it was okay. And I say to people, what are you doing under your circumstance? Come on. Now, let me illustrate it this way. If you, you got a speeding ticket on the way to church this morning, okay? I said this morning, so I'm not prophesying it's going to happen on the way home, okay? You've got a speeding ticket on the way to church this morning for 65 and a 55. You now have a choice to make. You can react by saying, yeah, I was running a little late. I was pushing it. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'll learn, try to learn from this experience. Or you have another choice. Remember, you can either change your lifestyle or your beliefs. I think the 55 speed limit through here is stupid. That's what I think. 
Nobody drives 55 through here. I am not going to drive 55 through here. I'm just going to keep my eyes open for the cops. You, you understand what's going on? Instead of facing the reality that I got caught speeding and I'm going to pay the fine, we now are blaming somebody else for the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Now hear me, guys. Your reaction impacts who you are becoming. Because if you can lie your way out of things, that will produce doubts about what's really true. And before you know it, your doubts begin to spread. I've met people who take this all the way to eternity. I met a guy one time that says, you know what? <clears throat> I know you're a preacher and all that, but I think when we die, we're like a candle, he said. And our flame just goes out. Poof, it's over. And he was real proud of himself for having philosophized and come up with this fancy kind of thing. And I looked at him and said, really? Uh, on what authority do you base that belief? He said, well, um, it's just my opinion. I mean, you have your opinion. I have my opinion. We both have a right to our own opinions. I said, okay, fine. But, but if you're wrong, I mean, if, if, if it turns out that my opinion is right and your opinion is, is wrong, and you actually do have to stand before a holy God in the final day, here's my question. Would you have to change your lifestyle any? And he said, well, yeah, I'd have to change a lot. And I said, well, then the question really isn't whether you believe in the afterlife. The question is whether you're willing to change to prepare for it. He didn't have an answer. For far too many people... Morality determines theology. The way I want to live determines what I believe is true. The sad part of that is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. For some people have disobeyed their consciences and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. Next time you're tempted to rationalize a sin away, understand that to rationalize means to tell yourself rational lies. And you ultimately pay a price for doing that to yourself. So ask yourself, is it worth it? Most of the doubts that we struggle with, we all doubt, struggle with doubts. Most of them either come from critics externally or from rationalizations internally, but a huge percentage of them come simply from circumstances of life. We face a crisis. We don't know what to do. We pray. God does answer in time, uh, in the time that we want, or he doesn't answer in the way that we want. And before you know it, doubt starts to rear his ugly head, and we find ourselves going, I just don't know. Is this true? Is it, is it right? Is what I'm believing right or not? And if you think you're the only one that's ever struggled with it, truth is we could spend the rest of the day giving examples from Scripture of great men and women of God who wrestle with this stuff. It's just part of the human equation. Let me just show you one quickly, okay? Uh, Matthew, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this simple phrase, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Anybody know what story that comes from? A anybody here know? Jesus and his disciples have been out teaching. 
They get, they get in a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And while they're out there on the sea, a storm comes up. Jesus is in the back of the ship asleep. He's taking a nap. The disciples are out there panicking. They think they're going to drown. They think the ship is going down. And they decide finally to rush back to the back of the ship where Jesus is asleep and to wake him up. So just get the picture. Here's Jesus sound asleep. I've been teaching, you know, thousands of people and been healing people. And, you know, he was fully God, but he was fully man. And so he's resting. And in the middle of his rest, one of them comes and says, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown here? I mean, the panic is up to here. And they're shaking him. Understand, guys, it's not so much that they doubted that he was there. They knew he was there. The question was, why aren't you fixing this? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've never wrestled with this before. We all have found ourselves in those situations. God, if you really love me, why haven't you fixed this yet? I ran across a couple of polls not too long ago. Gallup did a poll and came to the conclusion that 98% of Americans believe in God and 78% of Americans pray regularly. I don't think that's a surprise to any of us. But here's one that I got from Time Magazine that I thought was interesting. They agreed that only 2% of Americans are atheists, that 98% believe in God. But they went on to say that 10% of the atheists pray regularly. Who exactly are they praying to? <laughs> I don't know. But can I tell you that in all my travels, in all of my years, I've never met an atheist on intellectual terms. I've met a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people who told me I don't believe there's a God, but if they will open up to you and get into a conversation with them and answer a question like, well, tell me what kind of God you don't believe in, I find out very quickly that they feel guilty about something they don't want to own up to God, or they're mad at Him for not doing something they wanted Him to do, or probably the most predominant one, they're mad at His church for hurting them, for ignoring them, for failing them. They're not mad at God at all. They're mad at us. Their problem is not with Jesus. It's with the church. Can I tell you that this area, Goldsboro, Wayne County, is packed with thousands of people that never stopped believing in God, but somewhere along the way they stopped believing in the church? Does it surprise you to hear me say that? Think about the people that you work with, the people that your kids go to school with. Think about the parents of the kids uh, who are in your kids' sports leagues. Think about those folks. What percentage of them do you think are in church on a regular basis? Most of them would say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe the big guy's there. Most of them would even say, yeah, I'm going to face him one day. But you start talking about church, and immediately it's, oh, please don't. I'll talk to you about Jesus. Don't make me go to church. Those are mean people. I'm going to tell you now that there are churches all across America who are meeting needs, who are healing hurts, who are addressing real issues, and those churches are bursting at the seams with people who wanted to believe in God. They had let their doubts defeat them. They're just looking for a place where they can begin to overcome their doubts. How do we avoid the trap of letting our doubts defeat us? Let's be honest, there are critics out there, some people that we want to relate to that are critics. There are rationalizations in here 
Everybody's doing it. Nobody drives 55 in a 55. Hello? There are circumstances that make us all waver and question from time to time. So the real question is, how do we keep doubts from defeating us? How, how do we keep these things from pulling us down? Three keys. I promised you three keys. Let's see if we can lean into those quickly. Key number one to overcoming your doubts is first, I must admit my doubts. I admit that I have doubts. The fact is you can't overcome them unless you can admit them. So many people are so intimidated about their doubts. Oh, no, if God knew how I really felt, if God knew what I really believed, if God really finds out what's really going on, he won't love me anymore as if he doesn't know unless you say it out loud. So we bury them. We wear masks. We pretend those doubts aren't there. We come to church and we smile real big and we shake hands and we sing songs and we clap in those songs. And, and, and when the preacher begs us, we say amen during the sermon. We just do all kinds. I have to beg and beg and beg. But anyway, you know, you get the point. Hear me, guys. Some of the greatest Christians that ever lived had to deal with doubt. It's just a reality. Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? You ever heard of John the Baptist? Nobody in the room's ever heard of John the Baptist? You guys are killing me this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was come? Or should we expect someone else? Understand, this is John the Baptist. He's at a very low place right now. He's been arrested thrown in prison ultimately he's getting his head chopped off because some woman got mad at him right and some king lusting after her agreed to do what she wanted him to do i mean that's just that's what's going on and here's john in prison and what's the thought he's having is jesus really messiah is he really the one even after all the experiences that he had with jesus this is the guy who water baptized jesus this is the guy who was there when the dove flew from heaven and landed on his shoulder this is the guy who heard god the father speak from the heavens saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and yet john the baptist had doubts about whether he is messiah so what did he do? He sent some of his followers to go ask him, can you just, you know, looks like I'm going to lose my head here, and can you just go double check for me? Just make sure that this Jesus is who he said he, uh, he is, and that he really is Messiah. So what do you think Jesus did when they asked him? How do you think Jesus responded when John's disciples came and said, John just wanted us to check with you? How do you, how do you think he responded? He said, forget about it, John. You don't trust me, forget about it. You blinked. You're a wimp. I got no use for wimps. Anybody, anybody think that's what Jesus said? Anybody here think that? Well, let's see what he said. Matthew 11, 4 and 5. Jesus replied, forget about it, John. You don't trust me, I don't trust you. What? That's not what it says? What does it say? Let's read it together, okay? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus understood it is human to doubt, and he loved John through it. But 
maybe even more importantly, Jesus turned to the crowd at that point in verse 11. The same crowd that heard that John the Baptist had doubts about him, the same crowd that heard this whole exchange about John's doubt, this same crowd, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. The same crowd that heard about John's doubts is now hearing Jesus say, they don't get no better than John. Maybe that's why Jude was inspired later to write in verse 22 of his little book, be merciful to those who doubt. Here's, here's what I need you to understand before we move on to our other two keys. This, this is huge, so lean in. If you went to brunch for a minute, come on back, okay? Just come on back. You can figure out where you're going for lunch in a minute. Just come on back. This is huge. Are you ready? Is it huge? You want, you want to hear what I'm about to say? Or do you want to just, let's go ahead and wrap up, pray, and go home? This is huge, guys. There is a difference. Did I milk this long enough? There is a difference. This better be good as long as I've milked it, right? There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is the Greek word diakreno, which means to hesitate. It means to waver. Hear me. Doubt says, God, I honestly don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you want me to do. I don't understand how you're going to work this circumstance into a pattern for good in my life. I, I don't get it. Unbelief says, God, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you want me to do. I don't care that you promised to work this into a pattern for good. I don't care. You don't matter enough for me to care. You see the difference between doubt and unbelief? Doubt says, I want your will, but, but these critics, these, these rationalizations, these, these circumstances that kind of caught my attention, and now I'm kind of insecure, and I'm unsure, and I'm struggling a little bit right now. Unbelief says, God, I'll call you if I need you. Just soon to handle things my way. If I get in a bind, I'll let you know. You see the difference? Does that make sense? The difference between doubts and unbelief is huge. So when I ask you, any of you here have any doubts? My response to you is congratulations. Welcome to the human race. There are so many examples in Scripture of people who had doubts. It's not the same thing as having unbelief. But Satan would have you believe that it's the same thing. Thing. The question then becomes, how do we keep those doubts from becoming unbelief? That's number two. So I start by admitting my doubts. Number two, I doubt my doubts. I doubt my doubts. It's amazing to me how much easier it is to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. Make sense? Than it is to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. Did I get that right? Tr tweet that and see how it comes out. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We talked about this one last week, but let's make sure we understand. Do you see two options in that passage? You've got two choices, right? You've got trust in the Lord. You've got lean on your own 
understanding. So the question becomes, when you're making a decision, when you're wrestling with doubts, whatever the source of those doubts, when you're wrestling with those things, what source do you listen to the most? Do you listen to what God says, or do you listen to how you feel in the moment? Because let's be honest, guys, every one of us can come to those places where we don't feel God's presence in our lives. Can I get an amen? Yeah. We don't feel like God has this abundant life for us. We don't feel like God's dream is, work gonna, is ever going to work out. We don't feel good enough for God to love us. We don't feel like He loves us in spite of the stupid stuff that we've done. We don't feel like we're acceptable. We feel like everybody at church has got their act together and we're the only ones that don't. You understand the source of those feelings? Do, do you under, who, understand who planted those feelings in your heart? Because they're all based on lies. It's Satan himself. And what does he do? Has he come to help you? No. The scriptures are clear. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to plant doubts in your mind based on your feelings, based on your understanding of current circumstances and what critics are saying and your own rationalizations. He's trying to plant doubts in your mind. And when that happens, you have a decision to make. Am I going to trust in the Lord? In other words, am I going to trust what God has already said in His Word, whether I feel it right now or not? Or am I going to trust my own understanding, how I'm feeling in the moment? You choose based on what you know is true, not what you feel is true. And you begin to overcome your doubts when you do. And I, and I know some of you are sitting there saying, Jim, that makes sense, Jim. But, but that's, it's easier said than done. And, and do you know why it's easier said than done? Do you know why? It's because we've been bombarded for a generation with a message that we are just part of the animal kingdom. You know that, right? We bombard, I mean, watch Disney animated movies, and animals are human beings. We just don't understand their language. We, we're just part of the animal kingdom. We've been told in schools and in colleges and in movies and in books, human beings are just one more member of the animal kingdom. Humans are just as human as you are, and you're no more than them. And, and it's true. We are mammal-like in our biological function. But hear me, guys. We are. We are the only part of God's creation created in His image. We are not just a part of the animal kingdom. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 8. So God created human beings in what? His image. He created the male and female. God blessed them and said, fill the earth and be its master. We are the, the, the highest form of his creation. We are the crowning achievement of his creation. We are created in God's image. That doesn't mean physical image because the Bible is clear. God is a spirit. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does that mean? God has intelligence, the ability to think and reason. God has emotion, the ability to feel. I mean, the Bible talks about God can be, we can grieve the spirit. Uh, Jesus experienced sadness and, and all sorts of things. We, we have emotion, God has emotion. And we have will, the ability to self-determine. So when the Bible says we're created in the image of God, it's not talking about a physical image. It's talking about we have the ability to reason, to consider a response, and to choose. You 
have the power to choose. God created that power in you when he created you in his image. You can train a dog to do tricks, but you can't teach him to reason, consider, and choose. I just alienated half of the dog lovers in the room, I know. But ask any trainer, any time, and they will tell you that the biggest mistake dog owners make is they start reasoning with their dog as if they have the ability to reason. Dogs can't reason. Yes, you can train a dog to do tricks, but a dog can't choose which tricks to learn. He can't choose which training technique to use. He's totally dependent on the trainer to choose the trick, select the technique, provide the mo motivation, and repeat the process over and over and over until he gets it. But you can choose. I don't know, Jim. I've been doing this a long time. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. You're not a dog. You're created in the image of God with emotion and intellect and will. And you have the potential, the possibility, the ability to choose. So if you want to overcome your doubts, you want to stop them from defeating you, go back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 again and choose. I will trust what God says even if I don't feel it right now. I know who God is and I trust Him. Okay, Pastor Jim, I, I, I hear that. But I still got these doubts. How, how do I get past them? You admit your doubts. You doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. And then finally, number three, and we're going to wrap this up. You begin where you are. I begin where I am. Simply put, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whatever level of faith you have right now, maybe small, maybe large, wherever you are, start moving toward God. Start moving toward making decisions based on what the Bible says, not based on what some critic said or some novel said or some movie said, based on what God said in his word. There's a beautiful story in the life of Jesus about a father who had a sick son. He saw what Jesus was doing, the miracles that he was performing, and, and he saw uh, sick people being healed. He saw the dead being raised. And so he went to Jesus and said, very pitifully, as you can imagine any parent would, with a sick child, a dying child, Father, Lord, would you, would you, would you help him if you can? And Jesus replied to him, one of the most powerful expressions in all of the New Testament, anything is possible if you believe. Say it with me. Anything is possible if you believe. Say it again. Anything is possible if you believe. And he starts to walk away, having had his faith bolstered by Jesus Christ himself, saying, anything is possible if you believe. And the father starts to walk away and go to his son's side with hopes that he would be healed, and he stops dead in his tracks. And he turns back around to where Jesus is, and he says some of the most honest words in all of Scripture. Mark chapter 9, verse 24, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You ever felt that way? Filled with faith and doubt at the same time? I want to believe there's more to life than this. 
but I don't know. I want to believe I can get past these hurts, but it hurts so bad. I want to believe God can do something special in my life, but he seems to do it for other people. It's not happening for me. I want to believe my marriage can be healed. I want to believe my finances can be restored. I want to believe. I want to believe, but it's hard to believe. Jesus said to the Father, that's enough. And he healed that father's boy. I get it. You got some doubts. Don't let them defeat you. Admit them. Doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. Believe what the Word says, whether you feel it or not. And then ultimately, start where you are with this human mixture of faith and doubt and say, Jesus, I need you to show up in my life. Will you help me with my doubt? Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. You don't need a lot of faith, he's saying. It's not a matter of how much faith you have. It is a matter of who you're putting your faith in. Little faith, big God, incredible results. Let's pray. Lord, you see us. You know us. You know who we are. You know what we struggle with. You know when we get it right, when we get it wrong. You know. You know. But in the quietness of this moment, Lord, we don't want to just accept that you know. We want to embrace what you know by admitting that sometimes we are filled with faith and anticipation and we can hardly wait to see what you're going to do and sometimes we want to believe it but we're struggling to believe it. So would you speak your love and your peace, your help, your assurances into our hearts right now? Like that hurting father whose son was desperately ill. Lord, I believe you can help me with my health, my marriage, my finances, my decisions in life, my career. I believe you can help me. But I do have some doubts that you will. Help me overcome my doubts. Help me put my faith in not in the critics, not in the rationalizations, not in the circumstances, but in you. Help me to believe a little so that you can show up powerfully in my life. You praying that prayer, guys? You asking God to speak that into your spirits today? Simple, quiet, yet life-changing prayer. Lord, I believe a little. I want to believe more. I trust you some. I want to trust you a lot. Help me to put my faith in you. Help me to see your hand working. In Jesus' name, amen.
There's a prayer team down front after the service. If you've got something in your life you really want to pray with somebody to help you overcome those doubts, that's what we're here for. We'd like nothing better than to pray with you today before you leave this place so that we can begin to walk in faith, not fear. We begin to walk in the faith that God will do what he said he would do and start living the abundant life that he has for us. This coming weekend, Thursday night, two services on Sunday, Easter weekend, bring some people here. We're going to lay out the gospel message as clearly as I know how. We're going to talk about what Jesus went through for our sake. I hope you'll bring somebody with you to Easter service Thursday or Sunday. Water baptism is coming up in a couple of weeks. If you've not been water baptized as a believer, then please let us know. You can go to the website. You can stop by the VIP table and tell them. We'll get you signed up for water baptism in just a couple of weeks. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Father, thank you that when we just stop and take an honest look at this thing called doubt, that we recognize it's part of the human equation, but we don't want to be defeated by it. We want to rise above it. So thank you that as we give ourselves to you and we put our faith in you, that you will help us to do just exactly that. Now we pray that that faith will release your power to do amazing things in us, through us, for the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.